On R2C2, CC Sabathia and Ryan Rucco guide listeners through everything going on in the MLB, NBA, and NFL. They also talk to friends, athletes, and celebrities about the world of sports and much more. Check out R2C2 with CC Sabathia and Ryan Rucco on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. It's the Ringer NBA show presented by FanDuel. The road to the NBA Finals starts now, and FanDuel is the best place to get in on the action. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Quick Bets which are back and better than ever for the NBA playoffs on FanDuel. Find out what you're looking for faster and easier with more props right at your fingertips. You can check out live bets like three-minute markets and exclusive live bets like quarter player props, player assist combos, and more. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available. And listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 years and older, 18 and older in D.C., and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit rg-help.com. This episode is brought to you by Arby's. Arby's better not catch you slacking on snacking with their new two-for-five-dollar chicken wraps. And your choice of ranch, barbecue, honey, mustard, and a bonus flavor called Incredible Value. You can't taste it, but boy, is it sweet. Arby's two for five dollar chicken wraps are here for a limited time at participating locations. Visit an Arby's near you or order ahead on the Arby's app. Hello and welcome to Group Chat. I am Justin Verrier. Joining me, Big Wise, Rob Mahoney. Gentlemen, we have a series in the NBA Finals. Can you believe it? I can. How many fouls do I get on this pod, do you think? Uh, Depends on who's refing. If you're Devin Booker, you get as many as you want here. Let me start here. Because I feel like this game was a culmination of everything we've been talking about these two teams for, what, a week or two now? We've been saying so much about the Suns. This is their moment. Uh, you know, there's just this up and coming team, young guys just coming into their own, blossoming into superstars of tomorrow before our eyes. And all the while we've been saying the Bucks need to muck this up. They need to be physical. They need to be the team that makes things hard for the Suns. And I feel like we got that this game in particular, just the crucial moments of that fourth quarter, starting with the Giannis block, which holy shit, that was incredible. Then it goes down the other way. Then it goes down the other way. Drew Holiday one-handed rebound while holding off Chris Paul uh, down on the blocks. And then Giannis, I guess he kind of forced Chris Paul to turn it over. More like seemed like Paul just kind of stumbled and then goes the other way and Milton finishes off. My God, just like everything you'd want from the Bucks, just coming together at the perfect moment. Rob, as Mr. Milwaukee, as the Kareem Abdul Mahoney, what are you thinking here? <laughs> No, I think you're spot on. This was like the ultimate win ugly game for them. And no one exemplified that more than Drew, who had a pretty horrific offensive game. I mean, kind of an inexplicable one in the sense that I just had no idea what he was doing with the ball a lot of the time. <laughs> sure. But he came up with so many of the like 50-50 rebounds, obviously awesome defensive play, but just wasn't there offensively. And this was a game where Milwaukee did not hit threes. They basically won with really tough defense and offensive rebounding effectively. Throughout this game, I was thinking to myself, Drew looks more like PJ Tucker with hair. <laughs> you know, it's, it's just like he, he wasn't doing anything. He had another awful game. Even Giannis, the, I don't know if the Suns were doing something. It seems like they were crowding him effectively. It seemed like in particular, Jay Crowder and some of the wings were getting into him early on in order to stop his drive. Like, he, I don't remember him finishing off a Eurostep that entire game. Uh, but like Chris Middleton, you got from him enough from him. I want to call this like the Chris Middleton game, but I don't feel like that's appropriate wise. Like it, it seems more like they just like found a way to win, which seems like more appropriate for this Bucks team. Yeah, but you know, it's the Chris Middleton game, but it's in tandem of the Bucks figuring out what their best option on offense is. And that's the two time MVP setting crushing screens on Middleton's guy and allowing him the space because Giannis does attract that much gravity to get off 
a mid-range two-pointer, which he is great at doing. And we say it all the time. You know, the people say, well, analytics say mid-range is dead. No, <laughs> mid-range has just never been a good shot for 99% of the players. These guys, Middleton, uh, Chris Paul, Devin Booker, they're in the top 1% of mid-range shooters. So yes, if they can get to a mid-range shot the way Middleton did, the way Devin Booker sure as hell did tonight, that's a great shot. And they were doing that by, wow, who would have thunk it? Spread, pick, and roll. Put Giannis in a spread, pick, and roll and have him crush somebody at 22 feet and start your action that way. Who could have ever predicted that? I wonder what Mike D'Antoni <laughs> thinks as he watches these games that the Bucks play. Like, what are you guys doing half the time? Yeah. He's like, I want a job. <laughs> <laughs> Not exactly a coincidence that the Bucks were plus 21 in Pat Connaughton's minutes tonight. Small ball for the Bucks. It's, it's just such an easy recipe for success for them. For as long as they can sustain it, they should do it. Yeah. We should talk about the Bucks defense, though, because Rob, you wrote about this coming into the game. Just what an effect yep. the defense had had on Chris Paul. Six turnovers in game two, I believe, four in game three, which were uh, his two highest. I believe the four tied a, a previous high from uh, the Western Conference Finals, but now he had five in this game. What is it that the Bucks have figured out where they pretty much neutralized Paul these last couple games? Well, Drew has been awesome just hounding him all game long. And then the bigs are getting better about kind of eating into his space a little bit, swiping at the ball, especially, you know, even if he doesn't want to talk about it, Chris Paul is clearly going through something with his hand, some kind of injury. Uh, that certainly doesn't help your ball control. We saw him just lose his dribble a couple times in this game, which is pretty uncharacteristic for him. But it's easy to forget on this side of Devin Booker's 42 points that the reason they started going to Booker was because Paul was just totally bottled up. And that never really changed. He never really was getting guys going. He never really was getting into his flow. And that's why I think, you know, even though Booker was going so well in this game, I think keeping Holiday on Paul for as long as possible is still the right play. Because the more you do that, the more you get all these other trickle-down turnovers where guys who aren't used to handling the ball as much have to do more. And you just get more opportunities if you're Milwaukee as a result. Also, JV, what I think you were seeing is that they're playing him for the drive. He wants to get to his mid-range. He wants to create that little bit of separation to get to his fadeaway mid-range that he's perfected. They're like, okay, we're going to get in your airspace and take us to the cup. Mm -hmm. Finish over length, Chris Paul. Like, let's face it, he's not Kyrie Irving. He's certainly not Ja Morant. He's not a finisher. That's not what he does well anymore. He doesn't have the burst. He doesn't have the explosion. And smartly, the Bucs are like, we're way bigger than you guys, you know, across uh, um, the positions. Finish over us, Chris Paul. We're not just gonna... And even in the first half, there were times where I could tell that what he really wanted to do was get to his mid-range because sort of Lopez dropped back in a little bit. And Chris Paul basically with the ball went to a dead sprint to a spot and quickly rose up. He missed it, but you could tell he's like, God, I got to get to that spot and get to that specific shot. That's what he wants to do. And the Bucs didn't allow him to do that tonight. Even on, you know, even on that turnover at the end of the game, guys were in his airspace. That's why he turned it over. You know, they weren't giving him the, the, the sort of game one, game two, where he just had all the, the room to breathe and just sort of slowly walk into his favorite jump shot. Guys was in his shirt and, you know, he couldn't do anything about it. This was a great, really tightly contested game. But if Devin Booker hadn't shot a thousand percent on contested jumpers, I think the Bucks could have pulled away with this thing because no one else on the Suns had it going at all. Yeah, right. that's exactly what I was going to say. Like as much as they were in Paul's shirt, like they were all up into Devin oh Booker. Gosh. Every one of the shots that he took in from like the second quarter on was an impossible shot. He was coming off of screens and just getting like a hair of an edge on his defender and getting the shot off. There was one replay that they showed where I think he was like posting up on Connaughton and he kind of like sprung off of Connaughton to get a fadeaway. And Connaughton's hand must have been <laughs> just a needle like right. length away from him. It's just like he was just making unbelievable shots. And I thought it was interesting too that at some point, the Bucks were trying to get Holiday more onto Booker. And it seemed like Paul still couldn't get going, even with Middleton and some of these other guys trading off on him, which suggests to me that like this isn't just a Drew Holiday thing, although he opens up a lot of things for everybody else. This is just the Bucks playing incredible fucking defense. 
Well, it goes to what Waz was saying about Chris Paul not being a guy who's going to take you to the rack right now. As long as you can put length on him and can kind of eat into his space for that mid-range, there's not a lot he's going to be able to do to punish you. And so, as, yeah, as long as Jeff Teague isn't in the game, <laughs> I think you have a lot of options for how you want to guard CP right now. Right. Well, I mean, should we talk about eight and two here? Because he got 17 rebounds, uh, which is incredible. But he was held to six points, only nine shots from the floor. Are these two things related? Is it the fact that you shut off Paul, you shut off Aiton? Or like, are the Bucks also doing a much better job on just limiting Aiton at the rim? Yeah, I think they're being smarter about, they know exactly what they want to do, what the what the Suns have been wanting to do all series long, which is quickly. And there was a couple of times where they did quickly get him the ball on the mismatch after the switch on the pick and roll. And he caught it. But most of the time, they were really diligent about sandwiching him and making it really hard, sitting on his damn thigh and making it hard for him to catch those lobs. Like that's you know, obviously what we said they should have been doing to begin the series, but they finally figured that part part out of it. And, you know, look, again, there was a lot of miscommunications specifically early on. I think uh, the reason why we saw so much Giannis in the second half at center, one, because again, drink at home, Giannis at center is their best lineup. <laughs> but two, they, like the miscommunications were a lot more oh. often when, when Lopez was out there. And, you know, the Bobby Portis stuff, I get the crowd loves him. He's like one of the few spots on the switches where they're like, all right, this feels like lunch. But I think they were just better communication on those switches as far as making sure two guys were on eight and on the roll uh, when he got the mismatch with the little guy. And again, the guy who switched out on the ball, onto Paul, the ball handler, was in his face. Like, that's what you needed to be doing from the start is making Chris Paul be a one-on-one guy and beat you. Like, beat you how a, a star player is supposed to be able to. If the Suns had won this game, there would have been a nightmare film session of the Bucks just completely blowing yeah, their assignments in the first. They I did mean, a th- lot of them. There still will be, knowing Bud. Yeah. There must have been 10 possessions like that where they just completely lost a guy and gave up either a wide open three or a wide open layup and nearly cost him the NBA finals. <laughs> so does it, I mean, I'm surprised that we're now here four games into a 2021 NBA finals and saying that the defense is dictating play here. Uh, are we surprised, Rob, that like considering all that we talk about offense, even when we want to credit guys defensive efforts, we all say everything comes down to their ability on the offensive end. Are you surprised that like this is really coming becoming like a defensive battle here? Well, we, we did get two 40 point games here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah, but I think but I think the name of the game, JV, is to make your team a two-way team, right? And the bottom line is not only are you optimizing what has been, again, completely unreliable half-court offense by the Bucs all playoffs long. Now you're optimizing what's clearly been your, your obvious weak point the whole postseason by playing Giannis more minutes at the five. And guess what? Not only do you not lose a single thing defensively, you become much better and much more dynamic on that end of the floor. So, yes, bud, that's the name of the game in the playoffs (laughs) is to optimize your goddamn lineups. And they're finally, finally doing that. And again, at the end of the game, they said, Okay, what does the matchup dictate that we do? We spread the freaking floor around Giannis and Chris Middleton and hammer them with pick and rolls. Dare them to switch that thing. Dare them to put a little skinnier guy on Giannis. Dare them to put anybody who isn't eight and on Giannis on a switch in that spread pick and roll and watch us eat that up. And what the Suns did was like, no, we're going to guard this with two. We're not going to switch it. And guess what? That gave Middleton the airspace because Giannis, unlike a lot of people we see, I think KD is like the main guy. Never fucking sets a clean screen. Giannis plants his freaking guy every time. That matters. That creates separation. That gives Middleton an advantage. That puts the defense in a bind. And Middleton is one of the best mid-range shooters in the NBA. And they went to it over and over again. Which is Rob's music. Middleton from the mid-range. I don't don't know why Bud doesn't like this, but like something was working and they just kept doing it. It's the Ty Lue special. Like, oh, this, this worked? Two times in a row? Let's run it five times in a row. The combination of like the little hesitation that Giannis has on his role and the methodical way that Middleton attacks mid-range, there's just a moment where the defense is like, I don't know what the hell I'm supposed to do. do. Yeah, Yeah, like who who am I supposed to guard here? And in that gap, the Bucs got a lot of really good offense. 
This episode is supported by State Farm. Man, I remember when I first got into a car accident, it was pure frustration because I did not have State Farm. And now that I do have State Farm, it is an exclamation of pure joy. But the only words that you need to remember are, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. I guess the question is going forward, is this formula repeatable for the Bucks? So clearly Middleton had just an all-time, just probably for him, career night. Uh, Giannis was still effective despite all the crowding that we're talking about. I am looking around, though. I'm not seeing much else. Holiday, in particular, <laughs> is the one that stands uh, out. I, not to just knock him after we just praise their defensive effort. And he's obviously a huge part of that, getting into everybody's airspace. But four for 20, 0 for 5 from 3. He's out there like acting like he's Jeff Teague on offense. And I'm talking about Jeff Teague today, not Jeff Teague 10 years ago when he was playing for Bud on the Hawks. Like, can they survive holiday playing like this? I, I feel like I'm asking this every every time we do one of these podcasts, but like, can they survive this? Justin, as, as otherworldly as he was on defense tonight, he was that fucking horrible on offense. Like, you just said the numbers. <laughs> yeah. Four for 20. And again, yeah. some of this stuff is just bad decision-making. You're just taking shots that you know you're not really good at making, right? Like, you're just taking awful shots, Early in the possession, um, there was a play very early on in the quarter, like in the first quarter. He caught the ball right underneath the basket, and I don't even think he came down with it. He just threw it back out to the three-point land. And I was like, is this kid fucking serious? <laughs> like, you th- those are the sh- you have to be able to make layups, Drew Holiday. And, you know, the best things that we saw was when he was like, all right, I got Chris Paul on me. I got campaign on me. I'm forcing my way to the lane. Um, that's that's his only reliable offense at this point. We know God knows is not his step back where he thinks he's James Harden <laughs> or Steph Curry. Like that's he needs to cut that completely out of his diet. But he and he's missing guys on the short roll. He's just he's just bad on offense right now. Yeah, not hitting shots, not hitting layups. I will say this for him. I think there are a lot of players who, if they were playing as poorly offensively as he was, their effort would have wavered, their focus Mm. would have wavered on defense. They don't come up with that rebound he does at the very end of this game, one-armed, holding dudes off. Mm -hmm. That's something that, let's say previous Bucks point guards might have kind of checked out of the game if they had been playing like that on offense. That to me is the You're difference. talking about Brandon Jennings? <laughs> Bucks, Bucks and six. Bucks and six, baby. Uh, yeah, no, he made, he made Devin Booker look like Tony Allen tonight, <laughs> you know, which is appropriate because right before we got on here, we were talking about Drew looking like Tony Allen on offense. So <laughs> it all goes uh, hand in hand. I, I don't know what you could do at this point. You, you need him to be a, a huge part of your offense. He's just not giving it to you there. <laughs> like, P.J. Tucker, 0 for 1. He took one shot this entire game, which is impossible considering he played 29 minutes. Uh, They did go to Pat Connaughton a little bit more in this game, which I thought was a nice little wrinkle. Uh, But I guess this is just what they'll have to live with. I did want to talk about Booker, though, because he had an incredible night. And my thing is, like, he pretty much became Kobe. I know he's going through this whole like writing be legendary on his shoes and they mentioned it 30 times during a broadcast. Yeah, will but not like, stop bringing up that man's name. <laughs> right. Um, but I have to say he, his shot selection was Kobe-esque where he was just getting the ball. He's going to shoot it no matter what. And he was just hitting impossible, impossible freaking shots. Is this just if... Paul is going to go through these troubles if Bridges is going to kind of disappear like he did on this night. If you're not going to get anybody else, is this how they're going to have to win, Rob? Like, are you going to have to just rely on Booker to be that guy that everyone thinks he is right now? Well, is Kobe-esque shot selection a compliment? Uh, It's a little of both, (laughs) to be frank. (laughs) I guess when you make them like this, it is. I mean, for me, the thing that was so impressive about Booker, I was... I was just in awe of the patience he was playing with. Even when he's that hot, he knows like exactly how long he needs to wait for the de- the defender who's like trying to hustle up and catch up to him to basically overshoot it by one step and then he just rises up and hits that mid-range every time. It's 
it's incredible to watch him play in a game like this where everyone else seemed a little bit frazzled, especially in the second half, especially in the fourth quarter. And he was the one guy who seemed to be totally under control when he was playing at all times. Uh, But, I mean, you mentioned P.J. Tucker a second ago. He might have made the biggest play of the game going in for an offensive rebound, picking up Butler or Booker's fifth foul, taking him out of the game at a time when, I mean, frankly, the the Bucs didn't really have a lot of answers for how to deal with Devin Booker then. Yeah, and what what was cool is that Devin Booker was aggressive. But like generally we think of players being aggressive as getting to the foul line, getting to the basket, getting layups, right? Forcing their will upon the guy who's defending them. Devin Booker was being aggressive at hunting mid-range jumpers. But those are great shots for him. A lot of them were. Some of them were just legitimate great defense. Just he had better offense tonight than some great defensive possessions, particularly by guys like Pat Connaughton, who were draped all over this dude, right? But I like the fact that he was a aggressive in hunting those shots. It was no hesitation. It was like, all right, if I get daylight from 16 feet, I'm firing every single time because those are shots that I'm really good at. And those are the shots that are basically going to become available to me. I thought I just thought it was incredible. See, it was incredible shot making. Yeah, you could say it was Kobe-esque uh shot selection, but man, uh, you know, the 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 efficiency at one point he was I think, what, was he 17 of 24 or 18 of 24? Something ridiculous like that. That was, you know, all on jump shots. 17 uh, for 28, you finished. Didn't even hit a three. That's how crazy it is. It was amazing. Uh, I, you know, tip your cap to Devin Booker. I thought in the third quarter, the Bucks would have been kind of took a commanding lead in that thing if it wasn't for Booker just going insane and dropping 20 on his own. Uh, it was it was crazy. It was amazing to watch. I, I'm, I love D-Book. Yeah. Well, and for Monty getting him back in the game after he picked up that fourth yes. foul, you got to yes. do it. Like you yes. got to let him roll. Yes. You got to trust your guy. And it really paid off for them in the sense that they were able to keep the game close. I actually thought in the previous game, not getting Aiden in sooner because he had those fouls on him mm-hmm. was a mistake. And I'm glad he didn't be over conservative uh, in this one. And, Especially, guess who ended up, and guess who ended up not fouling out of the game? Yes, exactly. <laughs> well. Especially when you were gifted from the gods, from the refereeing gods, from uh, that control booth in Caucus. That was insane. Just a free pass on, it was Drew Holiday, right? Who... Uh, he completely manhandled, not only like just com- like slapped down on him, but with his other arm, just like gave him a nice little bear hug. If you are watching this on video, you could see me giving a bear hug on my screen right now. Uh, there's no way that that was not his sixth foul, right? Yeah, well, that, that, was, was, that was his sixth, <laughs> and I think he got his seventh on Middleton shortly afterwards in transition. So, I mean, really, history being made in this game. I think the first player to ever score in an NBA game after after fouling out. Congrats, Devin Booker. <laughs> yeah, the, the, the Drew Holiday wasn't some type of verticality where he might have grazed the guy's arm, or you know verticality where he gets early he gets up early on the guy into the guy's body and therefore affects his angle and his shot no he he fouled him going up low like around his waist he fouled him on the freaking arm Mm -hmm. he fouled him as they were up in the air he he basically had his arm around his waist as if he was his girlfriend he he just felt he fouled him three different times on that play And almost to the to the point where it almost looked like an intentional foul, like, oh, yeah, I'm wrapping him up yeah. type of not trying to give up a layup type of thing. And the refs just said, go ahead. Luckily, Giannis was hustling because Giannis is Giannis. And they scored anyway. But that was insane to see. Yeah. I mean, I, I won't try to rationalize it, but can I just like play devil's advocate for all of us? Was the game not more exciting with him out there? <laughs> yes. You know, course. like 100 percent. I feel like I'm always of two minds when these things pop up. Like on the one hand, you need to follow the fucking rules, especially when uh, everyone else has to play by them. On the other hand, I kind of want to see stars go against stars. So like, I I think he should have been called for the foul, but I'm also glad that we got the outcome that we did. The game was more exciting for everybody except for Bucks fans and people who bet on the Bucks tonight. Yeah. Have you guys, (laughs) have you guys seen Goodfellas? Do you, what kind of question? (laughs) I don't know, What the hell is, you know where we work, right? <laughs> I know this is, I should have known that. But you know the scene where he's in prison and like his wife is yelling at him, Karen's yelling at him, and he, like the guard just looks the other way as she's throwing like pills and whatnot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was the rest. <laughs> it's like I, it's everything that I kept thinking about during that one. Um, what else from this game? Is there anything else you want to talk about, Rob? Are we missing anything? Was um, 
campaign of it all, uh, if if there were a freaking God in heaven, in Milwaukee Bucks heaven, the Bucks would be attacking this dude more. He is so frail. He is such a liability. And God bless him. He's a good effort guy. But there's not a lot he can do when Drew Holiday gets the ball against him eight feet from the basket. When Chris Middleton gets the ball from him eight feet from the basket. When Giannis gets it like... They are so much huger than these guys. The fact that they don't attack this dude relentlessly the way, say, I don't know, um, when when uh, Bobby Portis is in the game, the Suns are like, hold on, hold on. Let's get Bobby Portis involved in every single freaking action um, on this play because he's their worst defender right now. If the Bucks, for the love of God, don't d- freaking attack this dude, that's, that's something. that <laughs> Because when they did, it was very fruitful. Mm-hmm. It's pretty telling that, I mean, the Bucks basically don't play Bryn Forbes anymore for exactly this reason. Mm-hmm. They just can't afford to put him on the floor and you can get 17 break-even minutes out of campaign. That's that's not not a great look if you're the Bucks. But I think it it their offense overall was just kind of in a weird state in the half court, which is something that happens to them obviously on a pretty frequent basis. But I still don't understand why Giannis didn't get more shots in this game. Mm. It just seemed like they denied it from him enough. Like, it seems like Giannis is at his best, as we talked about time and time again, with a head of steam. And it seemed like that was their main focus. Jay Crowder in particular, I mentioned this already, but he was almost like a heat-seeking missile on defense, just finding Giannis, especially when he had the ball, and making sure he didn't get into the restricted zone uh, with just any room to go. I mean, it's certainly not a coincidence that we saw so many Drew Holiday layup attempts because that's indicative of them overplaying Giannis in the pick and roll, edging toward him more than anything. So I get some of that. I get that they were trying to set up more of a wall. I get that Aiden obviously wasn't in foul trouble, so he's able to be more of a deterrent in this game. But just given how dominant Giannis was over the last two, I was just a little surprised we didn't just see them trying to go to him more deliberately especially when the offense wasn't really working, especially in those stretches where Holiday was a little bit off his rocker. Uh, Luckily, Middleton was able to step in in those moments and kind of stabilize them. But Giannis can do some of that too. It doesn't have to be the top of the floor Giannis attacking a guy. There's a lot of creative ways that they usually get him involved on the wing and for duck-ins and stuff like that that I thought could have been more viable for them if, if they had gone to it. Or Rob, how about this? Just run a pick and roll. Run a pick and roll. Or how about you can run a pick and roll with Giannis as the ball handler? Run a pick and roll with, I don't know, Giannis setting the screen. They did none of that in the first quarter. Giannis was kind of tentative attacking in transition. One. Two, um, it was a very slowly paced first quarter, but they weren't playing that great of defense. So they weren't able to just, you know, straight up attack the way that they, they were in the previous game. I think they just, like... <laughs> <laughs> like, run a pick and roll, get Giannis going on the move, allow him to do his thing. They just, like, a lot of times they're not even running anything, guys. They're just out there hooping. And yet the series is tied 2 2. It's, it's, <laughs> it's the craziest thing. It really looked like they played the first quarter as if they were trying to save Giannis for the second half. Like they were mm-hmm. deliberately going mm-hmm. away from him because they thought they were going to have to ride him down the stretch. And then they just didn't ride him down the stretch. I will say 26 points, 14 rebounds, eight assists, three steals, two blocks. I mean, he was awesome. Turnover, 11 for 19 from the field. Like the opportunities that he did get, he completely took advantage of. And so, yeah, you're right. Maybe he should get involved a little bit more, but like he did his job. I'll say that. Well, and let's say it one more time an all time playoff block. All-time yes. playoff block. like That, that, that was, was up there with the two LeBron blocks, the, the one on Tiago's splitter, which was amazing. <laughs> Forgot and, about that one. And the one on, obviously, Andre Iguodala. That was right there. Obviously, the Iguodala was game seven with, like, you know, two minutes to go. So it was insane. But this was shit, man. If the Bucks don't win this game, the series is kind of over. Yeah, this was effectively their game seven a little bit. Yep. Right. Well, that brings us to a question from one Evan Turner. I guess we have... Uh, the villain in, in, up, in the chat room. Uh, <laughs> where's Giannis ranked for all-time defenders? That's a tough one, <laughs> you know, all-time. Big let's question. Do, let's do in the league. Is he the best defender in the league right now? Nah, that's AD to me. Mm. To me, it's Anthony Davis. Just, just what he's able to do one-on-one against little guys, like still be effective against any wing. Like he was guarding... James Harden last year. He's guarding Jimmy Butler. He was guarding the best wings in the NBA for 
like long periods of time on possessions, right? Not like at the end of the shot clock with four seconds to go, he switched on guys. He was guarding those guys at times whenever he was at the five and they were doing the heavy switching thing. And of course, he erases everything at the rim too. I still think AD is number one, but when Giannis is, is able to do his sort of, you know, vulture help side defense where like he's able to you know show and then recover and do all of that he's incredible I don't know that he's the one-on-one guy that AD is though but he's incredible I think I just think AD is the best yeah it was telling in this game that as Waz said when Jimmy Butler gets going you can put AD on him there was never talk of like oh why don't we put Giannis on Devin Booker like that's not a thing you do (laughs) Sharks would If Trucks was here right now, he would be talking about that because that was his big adjustment for the Bucks last year. Well, yeah. I mean, that, that situation was probably a little bit different, but I will say this in kind of an underrated part about Giannis's defense is not only is he giving you the incredible help side defense, blowing up that lob to Aiden, but there was no doubt whenever the Suns missed a shot that the Bucs were getting the defensive rebound. And I know that they're kind of a bigger team across the board, but they were just sealing up possessions. And a lot of them were him sprinting it out of position to, you know, clear guys out and grab those things and go, go uh, the other, the other way. So huge part of his defensive game that I think is easy to gloss over just because the rest of it is, I mean, I'm not going to say sexier because we're talking about defense, but you know what I mean? We're after dark here, Rob. Just <laughs> okay. let your hair down, man. Spice. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we talked a lot about the Bucs and like potential things that they could do in this next game. What about the Suns? Heineken believes you could twist any situation into something positive. You just need a fresh take. So here are some fresh takes from Game 4 of the NBA Finals. Was what's your fresh take on one Devin Booker? Stop killing these guys after one bad game. Booker was horrible. In game three, doesn't mean that he was a horrible player or that he couldn't step up to the moment or that he was shook. He had a bad game. He comes out in game four and was one of the best finals performance I've ever seen, albeit in a loss. So my thing is, watch these guys from game to game. Great players are going to find a way to step up. Devin Booker t- did that tonight. And, you know, I could t- I think you're going to see that from other guys, too. Yeah, it's not like the Bucks went into their film session after game three and said, oh, we can let up off Devin Booker. And that's right. why he dropped 42 on him. They were draped all over him, giving him all the respect in the world because he can bounce back with that game because great players can. That's why I don't think they can write off the idea that Chris Paul could come back with a game like that in, mm. in game five, for example, or on the Bucks side of it, that Drew Holiday could have a game like that. You can't you can't give any guy an opportunity when the stakes are this big. Drew Holiday, maybe not. <laughs> yeah, I was just going to say, I have a okay, fresh maybe take. Too Drew Holiday, I think we have the book on him <laughs> at this point. No pun intended. But get out there and find your own fresh takes. What a transition. Grab a pack of Heineken from your local retailer or have one delivered right to your door. Must be 21 years of age to purchase. Cheers, guys. Ooh, cheers. cheers y'all. Whoa. Are there any obvious adjustments that they could make? Or is this really going to come down to CP figuring things out? Or maybe, as Rob suggests, like playing through whatever injury or getting... You know, in soccer, they have that that thing they spray on every injury. Maybe he needs like just a few of those cans and they'll be good. I think defensively, they're sound. They're getting, for the most part, the shots that you kind of want to give up. Like, you got to live with Connaughton taking contested threes, right? Like, you got to live with... Most of the, like, they they didn't get crushed by Giannis in transition. Um, he didn't just live in the paint against them today the way he did in game three. So I think they got, you know, you got, you turn Middleton into a long two-point jump shooter. You're optimizing your defensive possessions when you're doing that. I think offensively, they got to figure out some ways to free Chris Paul up because it's not going to, because he's their only on-ball guy that you can actually count on as far as creating a shot for himself in a one-on-one or pick-and-roll situation. So they got to get a little bit more creative about how they're going to free him up. But other than that, I think they're doing what they can. They really have to do better in the possession game because, I mean, let's look at the bottom mm. lines for this one. The Bucks took 19 more shots from the field wow. and they took 10 more free throws in this game. Lord have mercy. So, I mean, when you get... You know, one team gets three times as many offensive rebounds as the other and is winning the turnover battle. That's just not a sustainable formula. So I know you're playing undersized. You got to find some way to be a little more competitive on the glass. You got to find some way to protect the ball a little bit better. And that that starts as we've hit with Chris Paul. Yeah. Well, I will say this. 
I know this playoffs has been a DeAndre Ayton love fest. Like we brought up like how he's the pride of the Bahamas so much that Buddy Heald is starting to get jealous. Uh, I do wonder if this is where his age is starting to show and putting him into the box that he's been so successful at playing off of Chris Paul, doing the dirty work, rolling very hard to the rim, all that stuff. I do wonder if he did have more of a step out game. If he were able to shoot those mid range jumpers that sometimes get him into trouble because he gets, he falls in love with them. If he did have a three point shot, I wonder if he had something else to throw out there. And I guess this, this includes other guys like bridges and, and Crowder too. Like if they could do anything else and create a little bit more, it seems like that's what they need. No, am I wrong? Well, I do feel like you got that game from cam Johnson. Like he had Mm. that kind of game. Yes. But it's hard to like look at the Suns and say, oh my God, you really blew this part of it because they really were like one stop away from winning this game. Yeah, and I think Aiton is 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 playing like his age, right? Like he doesn't have that sophisticated of a game right now. He doesn't have counters, et cetera, et cetera, but he's, you know, optimizing all of his actual tools. He's catching every ball when they throw it to him, like when Giannis isn't blocking it, you know, <laughs> but like but when he like he had he caught the ball one time. He was sandwiched in between the two defenders. He gets he grabs it and just softly lays it in. Like that's a very tough pass to make. That's a tough catch. That's a tough finish. When the opportunities are presenting themselves, he's doing what he has to do. Like, yes, it would be very helpful if he could step out to three and knock down a few, you know, open threes. But I think right now you can't say he's anything but a plus for what they're doing, specifically as it pertains to guarding Giannis and just the paint, just being a deterrent, just generally in the paint. You got to love what he's bringing to the table. Yeah, he's awesome at being huge, which is overly simplistic, I know. But like, there are a lot of big men you can't say that about (laughs) it. Like, also, if the Suns have had a second one of Have you ever seen Jalil Okafor try to play defense? <laughs> you mean the pride of Team Nigeria? Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we're going to do uh, just one last thing on this finals game. My favorite segment, the one that everyone loves to answer, who is the playoff MVP right now? Rob, you are so excited. I could tell who's on the top of your game four ballot. Can uh, can someone someone show me how to leave this green room real quick? <laughs> no. Get it in here. <laughs> You're stuck. I mean, how could you not pick Giannis? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you, guys rem- Giannis. do you guys remember a couple weeks ago when we thought he might have a season-ending injury? <laughs> yes, I do. Oh, Doctor Waz definitely does. I he will know. I Waz. did not. It's I true. will know. It's true. I was the only person saying not only is he going to come back, he's going to be fine. Yeah. Um. I, yeah, to me, it's got to be Giannis. It like, it's like even because you just mentioned it, JV. It's like, oh, he didn't score forty again. He didn't do forty and ten again. Oh, all he did was damn near do thirty and twelve. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like you know, right, like right. he's even when he's not otherworldly, he's excellent every single freaking night out. We're at the point now where he's excellent every single game in the biggest games in the biggest spots. I, like you know, I gotta give it to Giannis. Well, that's actually a good, a good point, though. Like, what happened with Giannis? Because I think last series and the series before that, like we were saying, <laughs> what we is wrong what with this guy? Have they figured him out? Like, they we know just what happened. You know what happened? James Harden was injured, so was Kyrie. So mm. he was able to work out the kinks. That's that's what happened. He was able to get the reps. He got the reps because they ran into a Brooklyn team that was injured. That if that team was even 20% more healthy, they would have beat this team, you know? And it would have been a long offseason of us wondering about Giannis. But he got the reps. He got to play in these big-ass games. And he got to show out every single time. Um, and he's proven himself. He's, like, to the point where I'm just like, I have come away from this playoffs so utterly impressed because, again... There are things that he was failing at that he just straight up said, no, I'm going to do this now and I'm just going to completely be, always be the most effective version of myself. Although I didn't need that air ball three point pull up. (laughs) Right. And I didn't need you following it up with another three point pull up. But again, like for the most part, man, he is he's doing everything that he can when he can do it. and, And it's shown. But I think it's just the reps. It's the reps. And the timing is everything, because if they play the Nets next year, this more confident version yeah. of Giannis yep. is a more formidable mm-hmm. matchup mm-hmm. for them. Yep. But mm-hmm. the, the way he's been able to do all of this without forcing things, without trying to be someone he's not, 
it, it's really impressive. And, and really, the trust he's shown in his teammates in a lot of really key spots, I think, is just a sign of a really mature player. Find someone in your life that you trust like Giannis trusts Pat Connaughton is what I'm trying to tell you. <laughs> Are you trying to tell me, Rob, that I'm your Pat Connaughton? Uh, always. <laughs> well, I will say, like, I would have expected him to struggle more in this series than he did against the Nets just because of, like, the the... Nets defense is just paper. You know, it's Blake Griffin <laughs> as opposed to DeAndre Ayton. Like, I almost wonder if playing a more traditional center has almost unlocked him and almost forced him to be a big. Like, he's not taking any threes. And you would have expected that to come up earlier on because he would have had more just room in the paint to run. So I'm, I'm a little bit surprised that it's coming now. I'm thrilled that it's coming now. It's just... Yeah, but it's... But, it's, but again, Justin, he's he's not playing the way he was playing in Brooklyn. Remember he, how many times he would feel like, I'm the man. I got to right. ISO on Brook Lopez. I got to do this one-on-one. Got to do this by myself. He cut that out. He's finally cut that out. He's finally been like, how best do we put pressure on the defense? And how we do it is not be isolating DeAndre Ayton from 30 feet. That's that's not that's that's not good Bucks basketball. He's figured out like, nah, that's, you know, as much as my ego. And you know, I, feel, I think I was listening to Arnovitz on on um, Low Post, and he was like, yo, um, it's not easy telling your MVP to stop trying to be James Harden on the perimeter. right? Like, that's a tough conversation to have, but whoever had it or however he came to understand that he's not that guy, he's realized it. Like, I attack in transition. I set amazing screens. I catch everything. I get the offensive rebounds. Like, now he's just looking like a fucking a monster. Mm-hmm. And you would expect after the injury, too, he would have taken it a little bit more easily. But now he's like getting checked out two minutes into the game because he's just so hype, which is, like, <laughs> which is wild. And it's actually kind of an adorable thing that, that keeps happening. This episode is brought to you by Arby's. It's 3 p.m. and dinner is still hours to come. Maybe lunch didn't quite hit the spot. That's where the new two for five dollar chicken wraps from Arby's come in. Available in ranch, barbecue and honey mustard. They're perfect for the afternoon snack attack or as an add-on to your meal. Arby's two for five dollar chicken wraps are here for a limited time at participating locations. Visit an Arby's near you or order ahead on the Arby's app. This episode is brought to you by Visible Wireless. Want a wireless provider that always brings its A-game? Switch to Visible, the wireless company that makes wireless visible. Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon as low as $25 a month every month, taxes and fees included. And as if that wasn't already a huge win, you could use promo code RINGER20 to receive $20 off your first month just for listening to us talk about basketball. Not bad, right? You don't need more than one line of wireless to save. Just switch to Visible at Visible.com and use promo code RINGER20. For data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. The Visible monthly rate is $25 per month. Let's uh let's move on here because we have some off-season stuff that's been percolating in the background, and I'm I'm thrilled. I love a good rumor monger sing- season. Um, but first, we have some actual news here. Turns out Kawhi Leonard has a partial tear in his right ACL. I'm surprised they even said something because they kept it from us for so long. Uh, yeah, you wouldn't mean to suggest that the Clippers were less than forthcoming with the health of their players, would no, you? No, not the Clippers. They're the most transparent team in the NBA. Right, not Steve Ballmer, who pays tons in taxes every year. <laughs> would never try to get anything over on, on the public. Um, so uh, Jeff Stotts, who does a great job on In Street Clothes, both on website and on oh, Twitter. Well, I think I got some breaking news, guys. Okay. Our colleague, Paolo, um, just got engaged. Congrats. Congrats oh, to hey. brother Paolo on <laughs> his engagement, man. Congrats to Paolo. I just, I just peeped that on Instagram. Congrats, Biggest move of the offseason already done. Easily. And congrats. He's going to Phoenix tomorrow. So <laughs> the celebration <laughs> is going to be over uh, very quickly there. That's great. Congrats, Paolo. Uh, I guess Kawhi Leonard now. <laughs> let's, talk about, <laughs> let's talk about someone who isn't getting in- engaged here. Uh, so I was saying, Jeff Stotts in street clothes, uh, he brings up that Thomas Bryant and Spencer Dinwiddie both had partial tears of their ACL during the season. They both missed 60 plus games uh, and that Dinwiddie wasn't cleared f- 
until six months for basketball activity. So that's probably what you're looking at for Kawhi, which means maybe we'll see him the top of next year. If we're lucky, considering all the load management, maybe not, maybe we won't see him until next playoffs. I guess my question was, is if you're Kawhi, does this change your thinking at all in terms of, do you opt into your contract for next season? Do you opt out and maybe survey the landscape? Do you even try to go somewhere else, uh, KD style, or do you just run it back with the Clippers? Look, if, if there's any indication from previously how the Clippers have handled anything with Kawhi, they're going to do whatever the hell he wants. Yep. And if what he wants is to do the opt-in and then get his $250 million after next season, then that's what they're going to do, right? Um, I think there's just an understanding between the two sides. I don't know if I don't know if the plan was to always sign the max 5-year extension this offseason and so that's what they'll probably end up doing, but um it, it, like they're going to do whatever the hell it is Kawhi tells them he wants them to do. But if I was Kawhi, yeah, I'd be like I'm going to opt in, not play a single game next season. Um and then I'm going to and then and then I'm going to sign for the max after right. that. The full max. Here's where the, the math breaks down. So he has a $36 million player option for next season. He does not have full bird rights with the Clippers right now. He, oh, wow. Because he only has two years. He has the early bird years. rights. Mm. So this is from Bobby Marks. The more prudent route, even before this injury, was for him to opt in, establish bird rights, and then sign an extension for four years, $181 million. If he declines his player option, he can only sign a four-year $176 million option. So the, the bonus comes on the back end. It's only, I think, what, only a couple million dollars difference, but he gets that extra big fifth year if he does do that. So that, that's the math. Um, but it's still like, I mean, this is a guy who doesn't really follow logic most of the time. He just kind of does what he does. Um, <laughs> just wants to hang out in San Diego and that's where he's going. Uh, so I, there is that part of it. Rob, are you like, if you're the Clippers right now, are you feeling better about getting him back? Because on the one hand, like maybe this ensures that he's coming back, but on the other hand, that means he's coming back, but you might not see him for a very long time. Yeah. I mean, I don't think you're feeling great about anything. You know, he, as you mentioned, he's probably six months away from playing NBA basketball again. He's likely even longer from playing great NBA basketball again. How many players on your current roster are even going to be under contract in that time? Are still going to be on this team when Kawhi is Kawhi again? That's a, a worrisome proposition, especially as Waz outlined. You're kind of beholden to whatever it is he wants to do. That's kind of the position you put yourself in, given all the draft capital you sent out to make this team possible. Now you're just kind of doing... You're letting Kawhi dictate what this team is going to look like. And unfortunately, now his injury is going to dictate what the team is going to look like. It's it's not a lot of power to have if you're an NBA front office right now. Yeah, and this is kind of the bargain you make with Kawhi when you sign that contract with him for only, what was it, two years? Uh, two plus one? It's just like you kind of have to bring them back. And it must be like the shittiest position. I, like, I know all the reasons that the Clippers did this. Like, they're better off for it in the immediate. We'll see about in the future. But it must just suck to work there for the past like two, three years and just have everything be dictated by this morose guy who won't talk to you. <laughs> well, look, here's the thing. I, 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 wouldn't, I would disagree and push back only in the sense of this. When they did what they did in 2019, everybody to a man thought it was genius. They thought it was a coup. They stepped on the Lakers' neck. The Lakers had to settle for Rondo and Danny Green and blah, 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 blah. It was the greatest thing that a single team had ever done in an offseason as far as what the reaction was. This was universally what the opinion was. So. They went out and did what was universally accepted as the best move. Not only getting him, but trading for Paul George, giving away Shea and all the picks and all of that. Like at the time, I know with hindsight is 50-50 and we could, you know, we could say that, damn, this is kind of a bummer. But at the time, they got all the credit for it. Everybody thought this was a great thing. I, I do think opinions were mixed. Especially in the on Clippers, the Clippers and the Clippers front office, in I, think. I think there were some oh, dissenting. Internally, internally, yeah, I think there oh, were some okay. dissenting yeah, yeah, opinions. Yeah, yeah, like yeah, I think yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't think they like happily just like pushed all their chips in. It was more like a like eh, I guess <laughs> because they did give away absolutely everything. And like even though Kawhi is as good as he is, I think you do that for any player. You're feeling a little queasy, even though you know like the odds are that this is probably the best move. That's all. 
That's, that's all I'll say. Um, but it does make things complicated this summer. Like you're already starting to hear buzz on Lonzo Ball. Uh, I think Shams reported that the Clippers and the Bulls are interested in him. I don't know how the Clippers get involved there. It would have to be a sign and trade. Um, and I don't know what the Pelicans would want in return. And I think if you sign Maybe and they trade, want Luke Kennard. Well, honestly, that's probably <laughs> the only thing that they really have in order to entice a team oh, like on. the Pelicans who are based on uh, younger players. And then like, if you sign and trade someone, then you're hard capped. And I don't know how they fit all those salaries in, but I, I will say like things are, this is pretty much their team. And mm-hmm. I, I don't know, like, how are we feeling about that coming off of this postseason where I think that they acquitted themselves, but there's still some things that you have to be worried about. I mean, look, if, if I'm watching the NBA finals, tonight and I got what I got on my team and I can bring Kawhi back and I know we lose a year. Um, I'm fine with it. I don't look at the landscape in the West or even, you know, the Nets with the situation out there. I don't know if you've seen Matt Sullivan doing interviews for his book, but that thing is, Lord have mercy. Yep. I don't know how you see any of that and feel like you are so far from the mountaintop. I don't see how you watch the Suns team and think, I can't be better than that when my guys finally come back. If we could just get them pieced together, taped together, you know, like like an old Buick. You, you know, you <laughs> ever seen one of those cars where the, 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 the rear window joint is taped with like, the great... <laughs> I've seen two of them today table. already, yeah. <laughs> like, if I could just get that to my destination, which is the finals, why can't I be the Suns or the Bucks? Why can't I be one of those teams? That's how I would feel if I were them. I just want to say, I mean, we just had a great game four of the NBA finals and Justin's just trying to casually float like Lonzo Ball trade rumors here in this podcast. <laughs> like, like that's like that's what we're talking about. Come on. This is what everyone actually wants to talk about. <laughs> You go on Reddit NBA right now. It is 95% rumors about the seventh man on the Lakers. Like this is what 90% of the audience actually cares about. Well, first of all, I would never go on Reddit NBA. That was your first mistake. (laughs) Right, right. Um, No, well, I will say this. In the Clippers defense, I do think other teams in the West have some issues in front of them. The Lakers chief among them, like another rumor, Rob, that is circulating, according to Mark Stein, is like they are also interested in Lonzo here. Uh, They want to bring him back. But like, again, I don't know how they replace anyone because they need a Dennis Schroeder approximation. The first one didn't work out so well, uh, but they have a lot of holes to fill. And I think they're going to face more questions with their roster than a team like the Clippers. So that's just the counterpoint. Okay. Um, well, Rob, <laughs> Rob you're going to, you're going to love this next segment because we're going to oh, talk boy. about Ben Simmons. Um, also our guy is in the news here. Uh, Shams is reporting that the Sixers want an all-star caliber player in air quotes. And Mark Stein has Cleveland, Indiana, Minnesota, and Sacramento as known suitors. Uh, Toronto is also said to have uh, expressed interest. More will emerge. So here's what I did for you guys. So these are the teams in the mix, reportedly. I came up with the best possible offer for each of them. And I want to get your opinions on them, starting with the Sacramento Kings. So this is a tough one because I don't think the... The uh, Sixers is would De'Aaron want, Fox on the table. De'Aaron Fox would have to be on the table. I think. I think it would have to be Simmons for Fox. Was you are the Sacramento Kings GM, Monty McNair. What do you say to that? I think in a vacuum, I don't see how you can argue that Ben Simmons hasn't been a better player than De'Aaron Fox in his career. That's that's inarguable. But I mean. Is De'Aaron Fox, in the context of the Sixers, not a better player? I think so. I think he's a better player than Ben Simmons in that specific context. Um, Because, you know, a guy who's not afraid to go to the rack, not afraid to take an open jump shot. Um, Again, his his playmaking has been disappointing. Not going to lie. At times, he's been disappointed. But I've, you know... I'm a De'Aaron Fox, a bit of a De'Aaron Fox truther because I've seen him at Staples twice against the Clippers. And he was just unreal. Like nobody on the team could stay in front of him. And he had probably some of the best games of his life life at Staples. So, you know, I probably think highly more highly of him than than um, most people do. But I don't know. 
know. I don't know how how high they still are in Sacramento. If I'm the Sixers, if I get De'Aaron Fox or Ben Simmons, of course I'm doing it. Of course I'm doing it. This is such an interesting case study in the idea of like, what if Ben Simmons was willing to shoot threes, but was just like a 31% three-point right. shooter? Yes, because yes, that's kind exactly, of what you're getting. Exactly. <laughs> I don't love the prospect of a Joel Embiid post-up and De'Aaron Fox waiting on the perimeter one or two passes away. I don't love that. Mm. So I, I don't know. I mean, it depends on how how robust the market really is versus how much of this stuff is just kind of let's try to create enough smoke to amplify Ben Simmons' trade value. Wait, so you're saying the Sixers wouldn't be interested in that? I'm saying there's a possibility they would wait and see what huh. else is out there. I don't think it's a perfect... I mean, it, it's not a perfect fit. Right. Well, I, I got to tell you, based on like the reports we're, we're getting and just like what we know about Ben Simmons as a player at this point... I don't know if they're getting much better than De'Aaron Fox. Like I thought Fox was a reach based on like the type of other guys that you're probably throwing out there at this point. He might be based on how valuable he is to the Kings. But then, right. I, you know, I, Simmons is, again, we know what his playoff faults are and they're pretty clear. They're very well articulated. He's had a whole arc of playoff disappointment at this point. But you watch a game like this finals game and you're telling me he couldn't do some of what Drew Holiday did in this game to like meaningfully impact it even while not really contributing that much offensively. Are you saying like, Ben Simmons? I'm, yeah, <laughs> I'm saying he can have that kind of impact on a game. Sure. Ben, he would okay. shoot the, he, Drew would shoot the threes is the problem. Maybe yes. you wouldn't want him to, but at least he would actually do it. If you want Ben Simmons to go 0 for 5 from 3 like Drew did in this game, I, I think he could oblige. But again, the thing about this playoffs is 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 not the theoretical Ben Simmons. It's like what he actually did, right? He averaged 11 drives a game this season. My man Sam Fendiari tweeted this. 10 drives a game the season before. He averaged five in the playoffs. He's, he's just not the player that people have conceived and envisioned him to be in the play. He hasn't done it. Sure, maybe he'll come into next playoffs and he'll be rejuvenated and he will have found a way to like exercise the demons, right? Um, mm -hmm. Or maybe he, they probably got some exorcists in Australia or something. You know, who knows, right? Uh, but the guy that I watched, <laughs> nah, he's not right. having Drew Holiday impact on the game. Yeah, I, I think if, if you can get Fox, I honestly think that's a boon. Like, I think this guy is like John Wall part two. And if you can Maybe. get that for a guy who is scared to dunk, like you take it 10 times out of 10. That's my thought. I think my, my underlying notion is not that Fox is a bad return or a player you don't want. It's that you get one shot at this. Sure. You get basically one shot to convert Joel Embiid's like key years here. Yep. And if you want to put that on Fox, I, I understand why. But I would hear. I just want to hear the rest of the beautiful offers you've created for us, Justin. <laughs> well, that's all I'm saying. I have to say, if you didn't like that one, you're not going to like these next few. <laughs> oh boy. Uh, let's go to Indiana, which is a surprise one. I didn't. I didn't expect them to be in the mix here. Uh, I put together Malcolm Brogdon and TJ Warren for one Ben Simmons, because if you're looking for return here, if you're Philly, you want a more traditional point guard. You want someone who could shoot, God forbid. Uh, I think Warren, if the bubble was close to what you're getting from him now as, as like a wing shooter, like you're getting two capable wings uh, and Brogdon when healthy, which is a big concern when you have a, a team based around Joel Embiid. When healthy, he is just as good as what? A lot of fringe all-star point guards in the league. Not, it's not bad, but Waz, you don't seem convinced. I mean, in that instance, you're you're doing wing creation by committee between three guys, between Warren, uh, Tobias Harris, and Brogdon, who I think when we think of them being their optimal selves, that's pretty good to surround Joel and like that's actually excellent to to surround Joel and bead with, but. I just think in a playoff setting when these possessions bog down and I'm relying upon TJ Warren to set me up or and Brockton's actually been pretty decent in big spots before. Um it's not like he's been horrible at it. I just mm, I just I don't know. I'm I'm kind of a, a, a like I said a DeAaron Fox truther in a sense I have a lot of uh 
I got a lot of hope in how dynamic he can be as a playmaker. And I don't think I think his ceiling to me still feels a lot higher than those three guys that we just mentioned as a perimeter guy that, you know, one on one that people can't deal with. Yeah, my uh, my estimation of the Fox deal is already growing after hearing option number two. <laughs> Although uh, there would be something entertaining about after a season in which Doc Rivers was clearly not entertained by Tobias Harris going one on one off the dribble and trying to create, having to watch you know basically his younger brother T.J. Warren come in oh, and also man. do the same thing. Yeah, I mean this is the issue with any Ben Simmons trade. I mean we went through this a couple episodes ago. Which team is giving up an All Star caliber player? in air quotes for Ben Simmons at this point when his value is presumably the lowest it's been ever. Uh, To think they were a hair away from getting James Harden for this kid. I know. We didn't even get to the Indiana side of this, which is Ben Simmons and Domas Sabonis do not work together at all. Yeah, Right. You'd have to find somewhere for Miles Turner too, because then you'd probably have to find a way to play all three. God, I somebody guess- please get Miles Turner out of there, please, <laughs> man. I really want him to play for a team that actually cares about what he brings to the table, man. I, I really would like to see somebody actually trade for him this summer. He should have been out of there last summer, but teams thought it was more prudent to go out and get people like Steven Adams instead. Uh, he should be in New Orleans. Yes. Like I have no <laughs> idea why like, he's not there already. Cool. Or Boston. Either of those teams he would have been a perfect fit on. Um, all right. Minnesota. Another bad one. I'm sorry. Uh, D'Angelo Russell and Malik Beasley for Simmons and George Hill. I don't hate it. Oh, Me interesting. Okay. I don't hate it either. Because guess what? I have my perimeter creator in the young boy. Right? Mm-hmm. Like, And what I really like about it is the same reason that it works for the young boy is he doesn't have a jump shot yet, but Cat is so incredible a jump shooter that that creates space in the pick and roll for him. Like, even when guys want to go under or they want to do silly silly type of coverages, the fact that Cat is so effective at popping, that allows him the airspace to get ahead of steam and create something because of Cat's threat. I think... That would have the same, you know, effect on a Ben Simmons and Cat pick and roll. I think a a shooting big man is the answer to these cats that can't shoot worth a lick. It's these elite shooting big men on pick and pops. So I I like that a lot. Um, and I like the 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 dynamism of those two level of athletes with Simmons and Edwards. Yeah, I'm very into it for Minnesota. The question for me is if I'm Philly you're putting a, an awful lot of pressure at that point on Joel Embiid to anchor your defense. Yep. When mm. you you got Russell, you got Harris, you got presumably Seth Curry still out there. <laughs> All of a sudden, Danny Green and Joel Embiid are your last hopes, or I guess Matisse Thibel, if you want to start him, however you want to manage it, compounded with the fact that D'Angelo Russell, not historically the healthiest guy in terms of his injury record. Right, not healthy and also not all that effective historically. Oh, I mean, there's that problem too. <laughs> I mean, that's the biggest question. I find that I am often a Russell apologist. I think he will just make a ton of mistakes, but I also think he'll do things that other guys just can't. And those often just stand out to me more than some of the, the flaws there, especially on the defensive end. Um, Robert, remind me, are you a Russell optimist? Not really at all, but I yeah. think what what could give him a chance there in that kind of situation is he doesn't rely on like hard drives to the rim or explosive athleticism to create for other people. <laughs> like he has pretty good passing vision, and so I kind of think that in a team that historically has been a little clogged up offensively, he could still find some angles that work. And so between that and his ability to shoot, hypothetically, that could be a kind of player who could work off of Embiid pretty well. So I, I see the outline of what could work there. And I don't want to gloss over uh, Malik Beasley in that, who the more, you know, dead-eye shooters you can get around a player like Embiid, you know, the better off you're going to be. Right. Uh, last one is Cleveland. I didn't come up with one <laughs> because there's, there's just no way. Like, there's so much smoke <laughs> around yeah. Colin Sexton. Hard pass. Hard pass. Yeah, I, I don't here. see who Philly would be interested in. But I do have one last one I want to throw in there. For if, a team. If, if, if they trade for Colin Sexton, test Daryl Morey for crack or Dan Gilbert <laughs> to see if he got some naked pictures of this dude or something because that would be insane. We're drug testing GMs out here now. <laughs> 
Uh, um, last one, curveball. Just based on something someone in the chat said, they suggested a three-team deal with Ben Simmons, Joe Harris, and Anthony Simons. This is from real name, but I'm taking that and I'm pyramiding off of that to include the Brooklyn Nets. What if it was Ben Simmons for Kyrie Irving? Did I just blow your fucking mind right now? <laughs> <laughs> you kind of did. That that would be that would be a great trade, obviously for the Sixers because. Kyrie gives them everything that they are lacking right now. Like, straight up, a hub on offense in big possessions when you can't get the ball to Joel because we know how hard it is to get the ball to the to the non-ball handlers in big clutch possessions. Like, exactly what Middleton was able to create um, today in the mid-range on these spread pick and rolls with Giannis. That's the same thing Kyrie could do with Joel, who's both. And it's even more dynamic because he's a pick and pop threat now. And you add that to Kyrie's pull-up ability, that's just, whoa, that's deadly. That's, that is completely de- deadly. Now, Brooklyn, <laughs> I don't see how you trade Kyrie Irving after you've basically sold your soul to Kevin Durant and you're buying <laughs> buying their side pieces, houses in New York and, and, and you basically gave them the keys to the kingdom. I don't know how you do that, but that, man, that would be perfect for Philly. We've been saying for a long time that Ben Simmons could probably play center. Now he's Brooklyn small ball center in this hypothetical. I, I, I'm kind of into this more than I thought I would be. Right, yeah. I mean, based on current reporting, maybe you just assume that KD's too high to notice is, or is on Twitter too much <laughs> and then you just trade him away. I think it won't happen. It'll never happen. But it's the type of thing that I think actually works better for both teams to make this deal. I don't know if I'm Brooklyn that I'm ready to punt on the vision of the thing we haven't even nah, seen in the playoffs no yet. Sure. You know, how do you right. give up on that? I mean, nah, not... But, you know... <laughs> that's the benefit of being Brooklyn. You don't have to do anything in your amazing yeah. you're a generational team yeah and yes. and the thing is i think how you give up on it rob is 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 the guy that that took off like you know seven weeks of pto this season right like he had <laughs> sick leave he had workman's comp days this dude just straight up did not show up to work basically whenever the hell he wanted and that's unprecedented like and at a certain point who wants to continue to deal with that how? How could you be happy dealing with that? That's the only thing that I could envision not working is Kyrie on a quest to like sort of find himself as a human being interfering with just the business of running a professional basketball team. So that's the only way I could envision it. What happened to Socialist Waz? What happened to the man for the working people? <laughs> hey, listen, listen. A- ain't nothing changed on that front. Yeah. I'm not talking about me. <laughs> I'm talking about the Nets. <laughs> yeah. Listen, those vacation dates roll over. He had a bunch stacked up from the year before. <laughs> it all comes into play. Okay, that that's it. Rob, did you have fun talking offseason? Uh, it was a delight. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, all right. That's it for us this week. We might be back next week. I guess there might still be a finals game to talk about. Uh, But until then, follow along. Uh, We'll have more Ringer NBA pods this week. For Sasha Ashall on production. For Pat Muldowney on the Spotify Green Room. For Waz, for Rob, and for me. We'll see you next time.